It's Wednesday, March 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we've got Matt Argersinger from Motley Fool Million Dollar Portfolio and David Kretzman from Motley Fool Supernova. Guys, welcome. Hey, hey Matt. And guys, let's begin with what's being called the Trump rally. The market opened up big on Wednesday after President Trump's address to Congress on Tuesday. Now, Matt, the market's hitting new highs. Trump is talking about corporate tax reform, free and fair trade, and big increases in defense spending and infrastructure spending. What does it all mean for investors? Well, it's it's all stuff investors should love. I mean, I, and I'm I'm keying in on on mainly the one trillion dollar public and private infrastructure spending, which I think uh, you know, realistic or not, that could boost a lot of spending. Have you know, bring a lot of uh, a lot of cash sort of out into the market into into corporation coffers. We love to hear this, and as investors, it's it's really exciting. But we have to really dial back our enthusiasm a little bit because um, as as much as all this sounds great, it's it's a lot of bluster. And in reality, whether it's Trump or any president, only about a fraction of this of these things probably get done, and and certainly not to the level that we think um, they could get done in the speech. Uh, so when I see the Dow hitting twenty one thousand today, you know, and it feels like just a while ago we hit twenty thousand. So it's 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 remarkable. Uh, you know, we we have to understand that this is not as an investor a rally. I want to chase. I, I didn't. I don't. I didn't listen to the speech last night and say, "Gosh, I got to go out and buy stocks." Uh, stock market's already at a high. It's hitting new highs, uh, and I would say there's so much enthusiasm for what Trump and the administration want to do, but you just have to realize so little of that's going to get done. I mean, I, I think we heard so many great speeches from President Obama over the years, or even uh, Bush before him, about these really impressive sort of in the sky figures numbers projects ideas uh, and uh, you know in reality it's 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 hard to do it's hard to get things done and i think trump's probably going to realize that and at some point the market might realize investors might realize you know all those promises all, all getting a corporate tax rate of 15% um, getting a 1 trillion in spending yeah well we got we didn't get quite what we expected yeah in general i think you want to be careful investing based on what a politician says or doesn't say and so you you want to take it with with a grain of salt because like Matt said you don't really know what actually will get done and to what degree, but you know when we're talking about tax reform I think another thing in the back of investors' minds is repatriation uh, so the ability for some of these global businesses like Apple or Priceline to have a tax holiday and bring you know the billions of dollars of cash that they have overseas back to the U S where they can uh, buy back stock issue dividends, uh, make, make acquisitions. So I think that that's another piece. I didn't, haven't had a chance to watch the uh, the speech yet. I was actually at, I was in DC watching the Warriors game, but uh, uh-huh. I'll have to catch up. Could uh, be a, might be speech. a better use of time. Maybe I was in DC. I was close enough. <laughs> but um, along those lines, though, I, I think it is interesting that even with the market hitting new highs since the election, you have Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway really being net buyers of stocks to a, a pretty large degree. Warren Buffett. In an interview uh, on, on CNBC on Monday, following his uh, shareholder letter over the weekend, he mentioned that he had doubled Berkshire's holding in, in, in Apple in January, and that that is as as the market was hitting new highs. So now <laughs> Buffett and Berkshire own 18 billion dollars plus uh, of Apple, which has been a, a solid investment. And I know we talked about this I think last week on, on Market Foolery, but you know Berkshire and Buffett, we we see them as value investors. So I think it is interesting to see them. 
finding what they see as good opportunities, even as the market is hitting new highs. That's primarily been with Apple and Airlines in the case of Berkshire, but I, I just think that's a, something worth noting. Yeah, I thought it was a good point Buffett made too. I think uh, I think Becky Quick was you know asked him what he thinks about the stock market and the valuation of the market, and he, he said he didn't really see a bubble in the market uh, because at, at all times you sort of have to compare the valuation of the market to the level of interest rates. Uh, as we know, interest rates are still near historical lows. I would just argue, and this is me putting my my economist nerd hat on, but I would say all the stuff that Trump talked about last night, if all of that, even half of that, came to fruition, we're talking a lot about a lot of increased investment spending and inflation, uh, just because of the nature of the velocity of money that we're talking about. And uh, so, and usually in in periods like that, we see rising interest rates. The Fed's probably going to raise rates this month. Again. I'm not. I'm not trying to be the wet blanket here, but you know, just dial down the enthusiasm. No, I I agree with that. And and here at the Fool, we focus on individual businesses, and I think regardless of who's in power, you want to invest in businesses that that you're comfortable owning for for many years. Again, regardless of which president or political party is in power, so that that tends to be the focus we take, looking at individual businesses. So I think investors can still find opportunities even as the market is rising. But yeah, you you want to take it with a grain of salt when when politics enters the equation. And let's talk about two of those individual businesses. Two retailers headed in very different directions, guys. Lowe's up big on Wednesday after the home improvement retailer reported better than expected earnings. And Matt, Best Buy down on earnings. Yeah, it is It is the tale of two retailers because you, you have a, a. What we talk about all the time is, is what, what kind of big box retailers can, can, in this era of e commerce that we're talking about, uh, can, can thrive. And, and a company like Lowe's and Home Depot as well. Uh, Obviously, the home improvement space of the market has been so impressive and held up so well, and you just can't replicate that experience online. And I know this for a fact because I spent a lot of time going to Home Depot and Lowe's to do things and get things. And so it makes sense. I mean, Lowe's quarterly sales were up 19%, very impressive. Comparable store sales up 5%. Contrast that with Best Buy, where revenue was down 1%, comparable sales were down 0.7%, and they're guiding for comps to fall even faster. In the current quarter, and that's because again, I think a company like Best Buy is, and with Target earlier this week, very vulnerable to the to the convenience factor that customers are now placing on their time and their money, and that's that stuff that's capital that's flowing to e-commerce, Amazon, and elsewhere. I will say that the Best Buy in-store experience, I think, has gotten a lot better. And I've been skeptical about Best Buy, but the problem is Amazon's best showroom, right? That's right. (laughs) But that's the problem is Amazon. And Matt and I were having this discussion um, this morning about which retailers are truly Amazon proof. So I think we'd agree that Lowe's and Home Depot, right? Probably Amazon proof. Right, I, w- I would say so. And I, if I had to pick one of the two, I would go with Home Depot. Which, since the Great Recession, when you look at metrics like profit margin, return on equity, inventory turnover, return on invested capital, Home Depot and Lowe's, right before the recession and through the recession, they're about neck and neck with all those metrics. But over the past eight years or so, Home Depot has just far and away out- outperformed Lowe's and all those all those categories. The stocks really haven't performed all that differently. They've both been great performers. But I think long term, just given that Home Depot has generated those superior metrics, I, I would stick with them. But it, bo- both of them have been really strong performers, as Matt mentioned. And anyone else on your Amazon proof list? Well, I think you have one that you'd like to share. Well, I do. We had a spirited yeah. debate because <laughs> yes, I did. think I think Costco 
For now, I think Costco is Amazon-proof because I think you go to Costco for the treasure hunt, this idea that you're going to find something that you didn't expect to find, and also for the food. The food, I think, is incredibly underrated, and if you want to you know, grill salmon or cook out or cook a steak, you go the day of. Now, Amazon, if they build these bricks-and-mortar grocery stores and that becomes more convenient, then maybe that's a game changer. But for now, I'm going to go Costco, Lowe's, Home Depot. I think those three are Amazon. Probably the one thing I'd say about Costco is, you know, and I know they recently announced that they're going to raise, you know, the membership fee again. I, I would say it's a dangerous game to play. No. It's getting more dangerous because I mean, I would pay three times as much oh for my, my fee. Gosh. In I, walnuts <laughs> alone, I, I make up that membership fee and buy one bag of walnuts. But I just think I, I think the the value proposition of Amazon Prime. You know, comparatively, is just so much greater. If you're a person, you know, if you're a person who doesn't value the food element, it's Costco coffee brings, and tea. It's co- they can coexist. It's well, coffee and tea. But I mean, I, I guess I, I, I just as a person who who hates to drive, park, and shop anywhere, but especially somewhere <laughs> that's so crowded and like Costco. I, you know, that, to me, I, I would just, I just Amazon in my household is just winning. Uh, it's dominating, and uh, I don't think there's room for Costco, especially given a higher. Membership fee. I'm sorry, I'm hung up on on the statement. As a person who hates to drive, park, and shop anywhere, do you I, I go out? I mean, I, you just you don't like I going walk. out. So I, I do a lot of walking in my neighborhood. So maybe you're not the target market. <laughs> probably not. As probably. a guy who hates to leave his house, that's what I hear. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Speaking of not, you know, not leaving your house. Yeah, right? and speaking of a company that that may not be Amazon proof, Etsy. Um, and if you don't know Etsy, it's a retailer of online crafts and all sorts of homemade good stuff um, and stuff, I guess, that's not as good. Um, but shares of Etsy <laughs> down big on Wednesday um, after reporting a greater-than-expected loss. David, Etsy's adding users and growing revenue, but Wall Street doesn't seem to really be buying the story here. Yeah, I, I was actually surprised to see the market's reaction here. I think Etsy actually might be Amazon-proof, because Amazon, eBay, and Alibaba have all tried to replicate what what Etsy is doing, uh, and none of them have really succeeded. So, at at last count, Handmade by Amazon, which is something that Amazon launched about a year ago, I believe, uh, had about 400,000 items listed on on the platform. Etsy has over 40 million on its platform. So, Etsy, far and away, um, exceeds Amazon and eBay shut down their thing. Alibaba's shut down their their efforts. So, Etsy... uh, in this quarter, active sellers grew 12%, active buyers up 19%, sales up 25%. And the company is free cash flow positive. So they are generating cash. They have $270 million in net cash. I think the issue here, they had some wonkiness with their guidance. So for <laughs> they actually raised or they kind of reiterated their the upper end of their guidance for the next three years or so through 2018. So they're expecting revenue to grow at uh, at an annualized pace between 23 to 25% through 2018. But for 2017, they're only expecting sales to grow 20 to 22%. So, for whatever reason, management is being a little bit softer on guidance this year, and they're essentially implying that their growth will reaccelerate in 2018. So, I think that's probably making Wall Street a little bit nervous. But I do like the long term story here because what Etsy is doing, they with their Base of sellers, they're targeting a group that none of these other retailers are are doing a good job at targeting. So the majority of sellers on Etsy's platform, they're women who work from home, and half of them don't sell anywhere else other than Etsy. And the ones who do sell somewhere else are usually just going to craft fairs. So when you go to Etsy, you're not really going there for something that you would otherwise be able to find on Amazon or eBay. So I think they are carving out 
a sustainable niche in e-commerce. But you know, the qu- quarter to quarter numbers will be a little bit jittery here. I've had one Etsy experience, and it was an incredibly positive. A few years ago, we went out to CES for Supernova, and a few weeks before we left, one of our copywriters said, "I need motley fool jester caps that have like a Supernova starry theme." There you like, go. Where, wow. where am I going for that? And I go to Etsy, and sure enough, there's a woman who makes jester caps, and she did an amazing job. Turned it around in a week. That's awesome. Now, I mean, and- I'm not sure there's a business there, but. <laughs> well, maybe not Jester Cap specifically. The fool can keep that seller in business, but I, that, that I think that highlights the the dominance or, or the the advantage for for Etsy. You're, you're going to Etsy for personalizable, customizable things. When you go to eBay or Amazon, you're usually going for the mass produced stuff. That's yep. their bread and butter. You have the Amazon fulfillment centers. They're just trying to churn things out as inexpensively as they can. You go to Etsy for that handmade touch. So I think that's really where where they are carving out that niche. And that's why I think they will they are here to stay. And they they are generating, like I said, positive cash flow. They have a strong balance sheet. I like the vision for the company. They're also in April rolling out something called Etsy Studio, which is focused on the makers and handcrafted or the, the makers and like DIY do-it-yourself audience, so you'll be able to go there. You have all the listings for you know yarn and thread and all, all this stuff to make crafts on your own. They'll also have tutorial videos and things like that. So, what what Etsy is doing, I, Amazon and eBay and Alibaba, like I said, they've tried to replicate it, but they haven't had a whole lot of success matching Etsy's success. So, when you say they're here to stay, do you think they're here to stay as a standalone company, or if I'm an investor in Etsy, or if I'm considering Etsy, do I really have to hope that they're going to get acquired? I mean, it's a small company, so theoretically, it could be an acquisition. I, I, there haven't really been a whole lot of buyout rumors that that I, I've come across, but. I I I own a small position in Etsy, and I would prefer, and it is a recommendation of Rule Breakers. I would prefer it stay independent because I think that they can succeed as an independent company over the next three to five years. We will have volatile, you know, quarter to quarter results, but I, I think as far as that e-commerce category as that grows, I see Etsy being the craft fair moving online, and that's something uh, that that none of the other, uh, you know behemoths in e-commerce have done a good job replicating. So, I hope Etsy stays independent, but they are small enough that one of these companies could snap them up without a whole lot of trouble. And guys, for our final story, let's talk television. On Tuesday, YouTube introduced YouTube TV. For $35 a month, you get around 40 streaming channels. That includes the major networks, ESPN, Fox News, MSNBC. David, YouTube has also partnered with local TV stations, so you can get local sports and news. Now, what you do not get is CNN, HBO, AMC, A&E, Comedy Central. So, there are some channels missing there. A lot of competition in this space. What do you make of YouTube? I think the the two advantages that YouTube has here potentially, as the, and they say that they are negotiating with other content partners. So hopefully they can get some of those uh, other partners on board onto this package. But the two things that stick out to me that YouTube can do probably better than anyone else, especially with the current players, they're offering unlimited cloud-based DVR storage. So essentially, you'll be able to record up to nine months of content uh, on YouTube. So they're leveraging, you know, the the dominant Google Cloud infrastructure and business that that Alphabet has has built up over the years. That's something that you can't do with Sling TV. With Sling TV, you you can only watch it live. You can't record something, you can't set up to record something ahead of time. It's like you either watch it live or or you miss it. So I think that unlimited cloud-based DVR aspect, that's a really user-friendly aspect that kind of um, tears into the traditional linear TV model. I think it makes the skinny bundle model 
or that online streaming model much more appealing uh, or, and attractive for, for users. The other thing uh, that, that sticks out to me that YouTube could probably do really well down the road is advertising. So you, you could essentially, what Google can offer advertisers is say, we, we know this use, this uh, individual, they, they search for you know, these, these products, or they have these search terms on Google, they have these viewing habits on YouTube. So they, I think Google could probably arguably do a better job than anyone else really personalizing and targeting individual ads uh, to users. So your live TV ads would be different than Matt's, so to speak. And I, I think, I don't know if that's necessarily the plan, right? right off the, the bat, but I think down the road, that is something that could really play to YouTube's advantage. It's, it's, it's fascinating to watch the, the evolution of the, I guess, the TV, digital streaming market, whatever you want to call it, but I, I, in a way, I almost feel like we're coming full circle. Because if you think about it, like when you said, when, when I learned that YouTube was going to have ESPN, I said, wow, that's, that's huge, that's very compelling. But what, what then I say, well, wait a sec, but I still want CNN, right. I, still, I, I like AMC, uh, I still want HBO. Uh, so I start to think to myself. Wait a sec. So maybe I'm going to need. I probably gonna need two or three of these skinny bundles, <laughs> plus 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 HBO. You know now plus uh, plus Netflix, and then all of a sudden I'm paying already. I'm paying over a hundred dollars a month anyway. And I'm like, well, you know what? Why don't I just stick with my cable subscription? I need so, I need a keyboard <laughs> to go with my iPad. Well, <laughs> well. So it's I, it's interesting. I think if if you really ask a consumer what they want, they want the true a la carte service. Just give me the yeah. 15 channels I want. Yeah. Plus HBO and plus you know and then I want Netflix and 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 that's what I want and I'll pay you know I'll pay a fee for that but it's just the bundling continues and yeah. and, and that's something the cable companies have done successfully for decades now uh, and so it seems like we're almost going full circle with the uh, the TV market and guys this really also seems to be kind of a play for the future because um, Piper Jaffray had a recent report that said 26 percent of teens watch YouTube every day so as those teens get older. And as they make more and more purchasing decisions, maybe YouTube TV becomes their television. It's it's I mean it's already a tremendous brand, and I think it's it's if you think about amazingly, if you think about the Mount Rushmore of online properties, I mean YouTube is absolutely there, right next yeah. to Google, which acquired brilliantly YouTube. You know, gosh, almost ten years ago now. So amazing. Yeah, and Wall Street Journal just reported that. Uh, the, the amount of content viewed on YouTube each day is now a billion hours a day, and that's up 10 times since 2012. So the, the level of engagement that, that is on YouTube already is staggering. And I think this TV offering, I, I think th this is the most one of the more attractive TV offerings, aside from those properties that aren't included in this initial bundle. But I think with that cloud storage, I think that, that makes it very appealing, especially to younger viewers who don't necessarily want to sit down and watch a t you know a, a live show from eight to nine at night. They want to watch it whenever they want. They don't want to watch yeah. the commercials. So with that uh, cloud storage, that, that you can watch it when you want. You can skip the commercials. And for, uh, from a user experience perspective, I just think that's far and away above live TV. Whether it's through a traditional uh, you know a traditional cable package or online streaming, people just want to watch things on their own terms. And I think this skinny bundle offering with YouTube, it's moving closer to that direction. But like Matt said. It's still not true a la carte. Like I, I think ideally people would pay five dollars for CNN, ten dollars for ESPN. Right. They'd be able to just pick twenty dollars for the NFL want. games that I want to watch this month. I, you know, right. all kinds of things. But. And potentially even just paying for a game. Like okay, maybe I'm not an NFL fan, but I'll pay to watch the Super Bowl or something sure. like that. So sure. I, I think it'll be interesting to see if we move that direction. I think from a user experience perspective, that that's probably what most people would like. But whether or not the cable companies let that happen, they'll certainly be, you know, resistant to. Moving that direction. How about best thing you've watched recently? As we close, uh, 
let's see, I, I watched uh, this show called Travelers on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. It's kind of one of those Netflix original series. Really well done. It's a slow starter, as a lot of these series are. But by the <laughs> fourth or fifth episode, I was addicted, and I think my wife and I binged it like three nights. It was good, good stuff. I, I recently watched Sneaky Pete, which is one of the Solid. Uh, most recent Amazon originals. Also, the the People vs. O.J. Simpson. Now that that was on oh, Netflix, that yeah, was yeah. that was yeah. great. As someone who's born in '92, I I was compl- I, I missed the O.J. story, and now I get it. I get why people <laughs> were obsessed with it. It's it a great great story. I can't believe that. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> I'm catching up. With I watched my the White Bronco live with my dad. That's me. Speaking of catching up, I watched Dumb and Dumber for the first time with my kids. For uh, the first time? Yes, wow. I had never seen it. Father of oh the year. My 11 year old loved it. So as did my quality quality entertainment. Yeah, it's highbrow. And 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 on a more slightly more serious note, there's a new HBO show called Crashing, which is really good. Two episodes in. Um, Crashing. Yeah, the okay. producer is Judd Apatow, and it's uh-huh. just it's just very, very well done. All right. So a shout out to that. So David, Matt, we'll end it there. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. And as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. We will see you next time.